Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 94 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, I promise one day these will get fun to do, but uh, let's get into the game flight. Uh, I guess we have to. When we last left the Canucks flight, they had just lost to the Colorado Avalanche 4-2. Friday night game against the Winnipeg Jets, the Canucks came out victorious with a 3-2 win. Kyle Burrows got his first career goal in the NHL, and the much maligned Alex Chason had an assist. You know, I, I get the I get the Chicago game here, and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what happened. I know we lost one nothing on the third period goal. I know that uh, Demko was good, and uh, I don't really remember much else, man. But that kind of sums it up. One nothing lost to the Hawks, who played the night before. Uh, very dispirited effort. The Canucks played the Pittsburgh Penguins last night and lost 4-1. Bo Horvat was the lone goal scorer for the Canucks. And the losing continues. Yep, that's a fun way to, to, to buzzkill the start of the episode, Doug, eh? Oh, man. It's just, yeah. yeah. We'll get into well, it, but man. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been rough being a Canucks fan lately. Sure has, and and yeah, we'll have lots of lots of Canucks talk coming up, of course, on this episode. Uh, we're recording on Thursday, and happy Thanksgiving to our friends down around the states. Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't get out of work today, but you know, I usually, and I know you have in the past, Pete, like to take this yeah. Thursday off, sit at home, watch some football, starting at like was it like nine in the morning? I think the first game was today. 9.30, yeah. I mean, I, I like to take this day off traditionally as well, but I couldn't today. I had to go in. I had some stuff that I uh, just had to get done. I caught the end of the second game, but normally I like to treat this day as a holiday myself and make it a four-day weekend. Yeah, I've, I've actually taken a road trip. I got a couple of buddies that live in Portland. I've actually taken the road trip down for American Thanksgiving and watched football. They're big uh, Green Bay Packer fans. They're both originally from Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, it just, it's a fun day. Like I said, to get three games on a Thursday in the NFL. Um, yeah, it's, it's always a day that if I can take it off, I will. Unfortunately, couldn't do it this year. I know we have, uh, some friends in our fantasy football league that were, uh, rubbing it into you and I that they had the day off and they were drinking at, drinking beer at 10 in the morning. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Craig and Dan. Those lazy bastards. Um, do you, uh, like Thanksgiving's done differently in the States. Is there anything that you ever see down there? Like, uh, you know, everyone posts their plates of food and do you ever see anything? They're just like, what the weird in hellness is that? Like, like marshmallow salads and stuff like that. Like there's some, uh, we've everything in Canada. It's kind of your standard you know, Thanksgiving. There's not too many variables, but, uh, in the States you get some, some wacky ones like the aforementioned that, but the, and then there's some good ones in there. I like the Mac and cheese, uh, in, in my thanksgiving that's that's one that i should bring in yeah i mean i think a lot of that is influenced from the south and southern cooking right like you get sweet potato pie sure. um bean casserole stuff like that which you don't really get up here um you obviously rice and beans i know a lot of people have rice and beans with their thanksgiving dinner as well i mean i'm open for anything my big hot take maybe two controversial <laughs> takes when it comes to thanksgiving 
I can't stand go. turkey, generally because it's always overcooked and dries all hell. And I hate stuffing. I can't stand stuffing. Soggy bread. Really? No, not for me, man. I hate stuffing. Like in in the like the cubed bread form and like the the ground bread form. Not a no, fan. Not, none of that, eh? No. Damn, because I make some good uh, stuffings, man. Like uh, I'm surprised with that. I mean, you get it right. It's like you know some pork in there, some butter, some onions, some roasted garlic. Like that shit's good. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just never been a stuffing guy, man. Look, I like sage. Um, you know, I know that's a strong or one of the bigger flavor profiles in most people's stuffing. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just not a stuffing guy, dude. I mean, turkey, like I said, if it's cooked properly, which 99% of the time it's way overcooked, I don't mind it. But yeah, I feel like turkey, you've always got high hopes for it. Oh, this year is going to be the year where it's all cooked well and it's not dry. And no, every year. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I prefer chicken to turkey. I can I can go with that. But again, if you cook it right, I cook mine with a whole bunch of bacon uh, on top. I, I think anyone out there listening is probably think we're just we're just stalling talking about the Canucks. And uh, well, that's partially true. We're uh, we're also right now recording during overtime of the Dallas and Vegas game. I almost said Oakland, uh, Dallas and Vegas. Uh, they're thirty three thirty three. So. Got that going. Kind of still feeling a bit of the the Thanksgiving vibes over here, but maybe we are stalling as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather talk about how disappointing the Dallas defense has been for my fantasy football team this week than talking about the Canucks. But hey, here we are getting to record to talk about our favorite hockey team. Lucky us. Do you want to talk at all about uh, fantasy football last week? Yeah, I ended up losing to you, Pete. Uh <laughs> Patrick Mahomes ended up with less points than Harrison Butker, who is the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, who you had on your team. Uh, Yeah, it was a very disappointing game all around. Obviously, C.D. Lamb's out today. He left the game last week early with concussion-like symptoms. Uh, Yeah, man, very disappointing game. Very disappointing game. Well, I'll I'll take the win. I don't know if I deserve to win, but uh, I'll I'll take it. Hey, so what is coming up on the show? Yes, we've got a lot of Canucks talk. Um, first of all, you can follow myself on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow our playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. There'll be another funky jam added to the playlist at the end of this episode. So we're going to get into the whole current debacle that is the Canucks. But first of all, um, we also, it's episode 94, so we thought we would do a little something to go a throwback to 94. And then uh, after the Canucks, we were also going to do a short Around the Room segment before we get into the free pour. Uh, Also, no guests this episode. It's just the two of us. Uh, It was great having Ryan on last week, but... It's we didn't want to subject anyone else to this again this week. Yeah, I mean the pain and suffering to be a content creator and talk about this team at the moment is it's not fun. I'll say it like that. <laughs> well, we've so far gotten about nine minutes into this episode without really talking about it. But again, let's let's start, Doug. Episode ninety four. Let's just do a little trip back to 1994 because uh, we talked about this a little while ago. We're like, hey, you know, when we get to episode 94, let's just do a little something to talk about 94 and reminisce a bit. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to you, Doug. Do you have kind of a, a standout or a unique story or something like a, like just a memory that kind of 
comes at you when you think of 94 that maybe other people wouldn't think of? I mean, yeah, obviously there's a flood of memories that come back when you think about that 93-94 run the Canucks went on. Um, one of the ones that stands out to me that you don't hear a ton of people talk about these days, and maybe they are, but I just I haven't really heard a lot of people speak about it, is I want to say it was Game 5 against the Rangers in New York. Or no, maybe it was yeah, game. Yeah, six. game five was game five was New York. Game six yes, was in uh, Vancouver. Was That's right. Yeah, um, game five, and I believe it was a fan through the puck from the stands, and it went in on Kirk McLean. And at first, they called it a goal. And I know the Canuck players were saying, "Hey, what's going on? There's two pucks on the ice. Clearly, this isn't the puck that was actually a game puck." Uh, and obviously they got the call right. Um, but yeah, that was just like a weird, peculiar thing that happened during that run that like sticks out to my in my mind as like an odd oddity of just kind of encapsulates being what a Canucks fan is, to be honest. And then in the next game, in game six, uh, there was, a, again, a similar odd play late in the in the third period when the when Jeff Cortnell scores. But and the red light goes on, but the refs say it didn't go in. Play goes back the other way, and eventually the Rangers score as well. So it was either, and again, I, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think the score was three-one Vancouver. So you're in a situation where it was going to be either three-two Vancouver or four-one Vancouver late in the game, and they went back and reviewed it, and Cortnell did score, and that was here. And I think that was the same game as the Linden hit through the glass as well. Like that was just. Uh, that was just an epic game here in Vancouver. And then that crowd, I just remember the electricity from that crowd uh, over at the Coliseum. That was just nuts. Wasn't the Linden hint through the glass against the Blues? Might have been. I don't know. It's, I believe uh, it, so. it's certainly, I'm trying to remember who it was. I thought it was against New York, but uh, I, I could be wrong. I feel like it was uh, against the Blues. But I mean, obviously, you got Pavel Burre's cross check on Shane Churla. I, I believe that was that same run as well that was that was against dallas yeah. yeah uh so uh so yeah the linden hit was on jeff norton um so uh i just looked it up it was the blues you are correct there um so i get my my memories uh, all crossed around there but uh the shane churla one i got a funny story with that uh so i uh i i still have my old calculator from junior high school and in it my buddy Steve, who's also in our uh, fantasy, uh, our fantasy football, and uh, also listens up on Denman Island. So shout out to Steve. Uh, he he took the inside of my calculator, and there's like a piece of paper there, and he drew on it, and he drew this thing as it's uh, with uh, Pavel Bure and Shane Sherla, and he's Sherla's getting the elbow, and there's like the Spider-Man kind of bam on it, and it says Bure's Bure's cheapest shots, and there's uh, and I still have that. I still got this uh, picture that Steve must have drawn, uh, you know, obviously back in '94 for for me, but uh, that's always something that I remember as uh, that was early in the Dallas series, uh, if I remember in like Game Two or Three. Yeah, I think Churla was trying to take a run at Burray, and Burray turned right around and two-handed cross-checked him right in the back, and I don't think Churla played for the rest of the series. But, I mean, 94 was really special, right? I mean, just some of the iconic calls from Jim Robson as well. You know, the Greg Adams call, you know. Yeah. Uh, Adams, Adams, I think that was against Toronto, wasn't it? That was the overtime goal uh, in double overtime, and he followed that up with his, the Vancouver Canucks are going to the Stanley yeah. Cup 
finals. I wish I had appreciated that all more at the time. Uh, now, obviously, Toronto isn't in the Campbell's Conference anymore, and we don't even have the Campbell's Conference. But Vancouver beating Toronto uh, for a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals, if that was to happen now, which it, of course it can't with the way it's aligned, but man, that would be that would be just nuts right now. I wish I'd appreciated that more. Yeah, I agree. The conferences back then were a little bit, if you were to look back at you know what teams were in the Campbell's Conference, it was the Wales and the Campbell's Conference, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's only 22 teams at the time. Yeah, that's a good point as well, right? The the big maybe expansion. Maybe 24, actually. Maybe there's 24 at that time. Yeah, the big expansion explosion in California and Florida really hadn't happened yet, or it just was starting. Well, I don't even think Ottawa was in the league yet. Or they I were think just Ottawa in. made, at maybe in Ottawa's first year, I think Ottawa and Tampa came in uh, maybe that year or the next. But again, I couldn't remember when jeff norton got hit right so uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't listen to me i know the sharks were definitely in the league though they were this 22nd team yeah no obviously we didn't get the result we were all hoping for uh obviously you know nathan lafayette hitting the post as well and game seven uh really broke a lot of our hearts as canucks fans uh but yeah man it was it was a magical run that team went on and there was a lot of like iconic characters on that team, right? You got guys like Cliff Ronning, Gerald Diddick, Dave Babich, obviously Burray, Ojik. Uh, Mameso. Mameso, absolutely. Dana Merzen, you know what I mean? I mean, Yurke Lume. You know, there's just so many, like, these really, like, character guys on that team. Brett Hedekin, who was one of my favorite Canuck defensemen during that era. Um, and, yeah, unfortunately, they didn't get it done. They were massive underdogs going into that series against the Rangers, uh, they weren't even supposed to beat Calgary in the first round. Uh, you know, I think they were a number eight seed, weren't they? Or number seven seed, and Calgary was the the one or the two, I believe. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't remember, but I do remember they were down three one to Calgary, and then they scored three straight uh, games in overtime, including the iconic Brown to Beret goal in Game Seven. Well, and you also had the Kirk McLean stack the pads on the goal line save as well. Yeah, uh, which you know essentially saved the Canucks season. Uh, yeah, there was just a very special, memorable moment. Obviously, at the age I was and the age you were during that whole run, you know, it's very nostalgic for us. And anyone who lived through it would have felt the exact same way. But uh, yeah, man, uh, you know, it was a uh, it was a magical, special moment. It really was. One uh, one thing I just want to add in as well, kind of a a, a fun memory for me. Um, it was after. Game seven, and of course there were the riots, uh, which, ah, uh, uh, well, they've they've now faded memory because we've had other riots uh, since then. But yeah, there were riots, and the Canucks organized a few days later at BC Place a fan appreciation event. And I remember I skipped out in school. Uh, there was a couple girls at school who were huge Canucks fans, and they had a car, and uh, they were driving over. So I got a ride with them, uh, and when we went to this fan appreciation thing, and you know, the Canucks were all there and they had you know, Quinn and everyone was speaking. And uh, and then uh, they were staying in Vancouver, so I had to get home by myself. And I think that was my first kind of time going to Vancouver without parents as well. I was uh, 16 and just, you know, getting going down to Pacific Central Station, walking down there from BC Place and jumping on one of the old Pacific Coach Line buses and uh, getting back to Victoria. So uh, I just remember, yeah, 
skip school that day. I can't remember if uh, I told my parents or not. I'm just like, I got to go to this. Uh, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, and I think I still have like a towel or something from that event uh, in my storage locker. I got to go and check and dig that out. That's really cool. I know if the Canucks ever won a Stanley Cup, I'd be skipping work that day to go to the parade. No oh, questions yeah. asked. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Just before I go and get my tattoo. Hey, uh, <laughs> looks like the Raiders just uh, just won in overtime there. Sweet. More negative points for the Dallas defense. Great. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. 94. Well, I just wanted to take a little trip down memory lane. I uh, kind of see what random stuff comes up, what random thoughts you had about it. Uh, and if anyone else out there has a good 94 story, just uh, tweet it at us at Canucks Speak. Uh, love to hear more of them because man that, that was that was such a fun time and uh Larshide and Jim on on the air as well with the calls they were, they were just so excited you know Larshide was the ultimate first homer uh call guy for the Canucks and uh he was <laughs> the guy was just so excited every game uh, from that I, I still remember on the Beret goal a little noise he makes in the background right before Beret scores yeah well and even Pat Quinn like you know the legendary Hall of Famer Pat Quinn behind the bench, also the GM of the team at the time. You know, he's just one of the most iconic Canuck figures in my mind. And, you know, yeah, it was just, it was a really, like, you know, they really, that team really had lightning in a bottle. And it's unfortunate that they couldn't complete the job, but it was, it was a hell of a ride and it was extremely, extremely fun to watch. It was a hell of a ride and, Unfortunately, Doug, so is this year. I mean, where do we even start right now? There is so much noise out there. I mean, we don't know really what's fact or what's fiction. Everything is is pretty tight-lipped right now, but you're kind of hearing a lot of things out there that, again, they could just be rumors. It could just be people formulating stuff put up on Twitter and Reddit and get the likes and the follows, and it could just be stuff that people think we want to hear. It really could be this disjointed. Um, I don't know, like Doug, where 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 do you start? What is what is going on? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people who claim to have inside information, which I kind of roll my eyes at. However, I mean, there definitely seems to be a fracture in with this team, right? It's not just that the players are shutting the coach out. Like it seems like there's a bit of a divide between players or factions. I mean, these are all these buzzwords you're hearing now. Divide amongst the players, factions forming. You know, it just... Yeah, like, I don't remember a Canucks team, maybe the Messier years, but, you know, I don't remember a Canucks team being this dysfunctional, especially this early into the season. That's the other thing, too, is, like, I don't think anyone saw 20 games in that this team would be such... There would be so much turmoil and such a like essentially you know divides within players and i mean pd for instance he just he does not look motivated at all at the moment i don't know if it's a coaching issue i don't know if it's another player in the dressing room issue i don't know if it's poor leadership but for a guy who just signed a three-year extension, he just he just does not look like he's having fun or he's motivated whatsoever. I remember Petey's first two years, his rookie year and his sophomore year. He's a slight guy, right? He's not the biggest guy. I know one of the big knocks on him coming out of the draft was he was very slight and he would need to put some weight on. 
But even with his small frame, he was a guy that would battle hard along the boards and fight for pucks and not shy away from the physical side of the game. And he would push back, much like you see with a guy like Hoglander, right? Hoglander's a small guy, but he's got a bit of bite in his game. I mean, I, and again, this was different because it was completely a cheap shot, but, you know, I referenced Pavel Bure and, you know, what he did to no one tough guy Shane Churla. It's just, you're not seeing that at all from PD this year. It's very concerning in my mind. And I don't know what it is. Is it the coach? Is it he doesn't like one of the quote unquote leaders in the room? I just, I, I, I just can't believe that it's falling apart this quickly into the season. Is there things that were happening last year? And I know there was a lot of talk with the COVID outbreak and there was poor communication from management to the players. But it just it just boggles my mind, man. Like I just I, I know there's a lot of talk about Green getting fired and he probably should be let go. But this to me, the problems that we're seeing seem far deeper than just the coach well and that's why that's really what the question is right I mean if there is factions in the room and again this is all speculation but to 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 go on to what you were saying about Petey he doesn't look right as he said and and the problem with the team right now at least on the ice it's not a lot of the new guys or the, the, the younger guys that have come in. Like, I think Connor Garland and OEL have been two of the better Canucks players. I'd, I'd maybe, you know, they've been certainly in the top five Canucks players this year. Uh, Niels Hoglander puts out a good effort. Vasily Pod Colson, uh, I think, has slowly improved. Thatcher Demko, of course, has been our MVP. But this the strength of this team going into the season was meant to be finally a top nine. And you know how much I loved saying that. I was like, hey, we finally got a top uh, top nine. But we haven't had enough out of really Besser, Petey, and Horvat. I mean, Miller still leads the team in points by quite a bit, so it's really hard to knock the guy. He's got 19 points in 20 games. Uh, he leads the team in points by, by a long shot. But... I mean, Tanner Pearson has six points in in 20 games. Uh, We haven't seen a lot from Jason Dickinson. I I know he's not a points guy, but I haven't really noticed him a lot, you know. And the forwards, this top nine, they're better than what they're doing. So for me, it's like, okay, well, that, that seems like it's a coaching problem, but if you fix a coaching problem and there's still issues in the dressing room and a new coach comes in, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fix it. So, I mean, there is just, as we talked with Ryan on the last episode right now, there's a myriad of problems. I don't think anyone in in Vancouver and fans of the team saw the team or thought that the team was going to be performing as badly as it is right now. Like, I certainly didn't. I thought this was the best roster we've seen, really, under the Benning era. But... The the shoddy defense is really showing up, and for me, this is really where where it, it kind of all begins. Is uh, as bad as the forwards have been. Uh, the blue line, if you can't defend, if you're allowing goals and at a just an astonishing pace, you have the goaltending, but without the blue line in front of it, you're you're always playing catch up, and I think that's just wearing on the players too. So, you know. 
I, I, I wish there was more information out there. I, I hate speculating. I, like, I'd hate to just if there's, you know, a, a handful of people on Twitter and Reddit now or, you know, media people or whoever who are just like, oh, there's there's shit wrong with the team. We're going to we're going to say things. Um, and then, you know, the next step is to fire Green, which really is kind of the only card you got left. And if that doesn't change anything, then uh, then what happens next, right? Like, so I don't know. For me, it's a, it's a myriad of problems. But star players not performing, blue line just being porous, uh, poor roster construction in a lot of aspects that uh, even I'm surprised about. Um, and now you're at this really sticky crossroads where this doesn't work. You've got to blow it up and start again, and this fan base is going to lose its mind. Well, when your best players aren't your best players, and I know it's a terrible, terrible cliche, but it has a trickle-down effect. And right now, Petey is the best player on this team, and he is anything but the best player on the ice, game in, game out. If firing the coach could give this team a bit of a boost, great. But like I said, the the problem seems much deeper-rooted than just the players tuning out the coach. Like There seems to be a major personality conflict at least from afar right i'm i'm not well i am speculating but you know i'm i'm not going to you know make any grand statements but just from afar watching what's unfolding watching the body language of the players watching players post game interviews i mean obviously everyone saw the interview yesterday after the pens game with JT Miller you know it doesn't look good and i know a lot of people are criticizing Miller and there's a lot of rumors that it's Miller and Horvat and there's the, they're the ones conflicting and you know, people don't respect Horvat as a captain and yada, yada, yada. I don't buy that. Honestly. I mean, I, I, to me, you could criticize Miller for his turnovers and his giveaways. And you know, he's the type of guy that, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve and all that stuff. But at least he's a guy that night in, night out, he answers the tough questions. He tries to hold himself and the rest of the team accountable. Not saying that Horvat doesn't do that either, but he's just a guy that seems to kind of go for bat. Like he was the guy last year after the COVID outbreak and the NHL wanted the Canucks to return to play a lot sooner. He was the guy that stood up and said, no, my team, you know, and when I say my, I think he meant like our team needs longer. We need more days to recover from this. And then the NHL stepped in and gave the Canucks, I believe, an extra three, four days, uh, which was great. And apparently, if you believe some of the people that are out there spreading some of the speculated rumors that that was kind of a turning point in the Canucks dressing room where a lot of the leadership shifted towards Miller instead of Horvat. Again, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, Miller and Horvat seem to be the two guys that... I know Horvat was on a bit of a cold streak there, but they're the two guys that Green plays a ton, and they're the two guys whose positions on the team, as far as up and down the lineup, hasn't really changed. You're not seeing Horvat play on the fourth line with the fourth line wingers, you know? You're not seeing Miller play down there either, but you're seeing Petey play down there. You're seeing Brock play down there. So I don't know if there's a divide between Horvat and Miller, and then there's a divide between Petey and Green. I I don't know, man. It's it it's it's all wild speculation at this point, but it 
Yeah, it's concerning, and you can't ownership can't sit idle on this. You have to make a move. You have to, you know, you have to put your foot down, and you have to at least try to steer the ship out of a potential disaster. And I mean, it's I, I still don't think it's a complete disaster yet because you haven't had a star player demand a trade. But you know, I know a lot of the. Buffalo Sabres fans are, you know, saying this is shades of Jack Eichel in the Buffalo Sabres relationship and how that deteriorated so quick. Now, obviously, it was a little bit different when, you know, Jack Eichel wanted a certain surgery and the doctor, the Buffalo Sabres doctors didn't want him to get that surgery. So there's a bit of a fundamental disagreement with what the best course of action was for Eichel's long-term future. But even Buffalo, you had a guy like Ryan O'Reilly demand a trade, and he went on to go to St. Louis and win a Stanley Cup. So, yeah, man, I mean, our expansion our expansion cousins, the Buffalo Sabres and the Vancouver Canucks, I don't know what it was with that year in 1970, but uh, both those teams have uh, hadn't had the best of uh, luck over the years. Columbus and Ottawa are uh, two other teams that come to mind with a lot of players departing. And Columbus is our next opponent. Uh, unfortunately, they're, of course, hot as well. And this is another thing is the Canucks uh, keep getting teams that are hot. And that's not an excuse, but they're getting a lot of hot goalies and they're getting a lot of hot teams. But everyone in this league is good. Uh, you can lose to any team any night you can beat any team any night so it's not an excuse it's just you know columbus is up then boston and then it'll be interesting you got montreal and ottawa montreal's back to back after the boston game but i mean this road trip is off to a pretty rough start also i will say horvat's goal last night that was a nice goal I'll, yeah uh, that was uh that was nice to see and i was like oh there's there's some of that bow but this like let's say the canucks lose Columbus let's say the Canucks and lose to Boston when like, they play the next night against Montreal are they, they going to go through this road trip and see what happens like if you lose every game on this road trip I think you can already say by game 24 that you, your your dreams of making the playoffs are, are probably out the window I mean the Canucks are only one point ahead of Seattle right now and Seattle's got a game in hand on them as well the only team below them in the standings in the West, besides Seattle, is Arizona, who've all of a sudden propped their point total up a little bit. They got all of 10. But, I mean, if the Canucks come out of this, lose the last four games, it'd be 6-16-2. And, and, again, this is we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that would mean only four regulation wins out of first 24 games. And, I mean, we can say things like this right now because from the effort that we're seeing – and the way this road trip started after the debacle of the way the last road trip started, you're like, oh, I've seen this before. Like, I know how this how this goes. And I'm, I'm already here starting to chalk up losses. But how like what is the plan here? I, yeah, you hear all these rumors. You hear all this talk like, oh, yeah, everyone's freaking out because Mike Babcock's in town. It's like, yeah, well, he's not here to talk with the Canucks. He's here, his son is playing here. So, I'm, But of course, it, it, everyone's just waiting for that snapshot of Babcock and Aquilini sitting in front of a window in a restaurant in Yale town <laughs> and uh, posting it on Twitter. Right. Um, but it, like, th this is the thing that I guess we, we kind of started off with like, is okay. This is a coaching thing. I'm like, yeah, I think most people in Vancouver is like, look, you got to do something. Now you got to see what happens if you bring in a new coach. And if there's a difference with the team, 
But what if there isn't? I mean, okay, it's not our money. The Aquilinis are then going to be paying for two coaches. They, I'm sure they don't want to do that. I, I don't really care. But the next move would be you'd have to trade someone. And do we want Benning doing that? Like, I, I don't know. Well, and I, I think it was Elliot Friedman. I believe it was Elliot Friedman or maybe it was Craig Button. But I, mean, I know a prominent media member said that they believe that if Jim Benning had authority to make moves, he would make he would have made a move by now, and that they think that ownership has kind of pulled the reins in on him making a, a drastic trade or a a trade for the sake of making a trade to try to shake things up in the dressing room, but. Why do you have a GM who you don't trust to make moves then? Like, it mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. I don't I don't get it. And look, I, I think betting, it's time for betting to go. I mean, I've never been the biggest betting fan. You know, I don't think he's gotten credit for some. And I put in parentheses, some <laughs> of the good things he's done. Uh, his mistakes far outweigh anything good he has done. But ownership, for whatever reason, they don't want to get rid of this guy. Uh, I'm surprised ownership doesn't want to get rid of Green either. I thought Green would have been gone by now. I really did. Uh, But ownership, for whatever reason, they seem to be loyal to a fault. And it's going to start, I think, once ticket sale or the interest in going to games for fans, and it's already dwindling, but when fans stop showing up at the gate to pay to go see this team... That's when I think ownership's going to turn around and make some brash and bold moves. At least that's when I would hope they would. I would hope they would do it sooner, to be fair. But I think that's when they would actually do it. I often wonder if other markets talk about ownership, like I'm sure Ottawa and maybe Pittsburgh do, and maybe there's a couple in Buffalo, um, talk about ownership as much as we do here. Because this goes back as well. What you're saying is, uh, you know, yeah, ownership pulling in GM the GM and saying, look, your your hands are tied. You can't do anything right now. Why is that even happening? Why is there not a president or a buffer or someone in between the GM and the ownership? The owners shouldn't be getting involved. They're not hockey minds. They can be hockey fans. I'm a hockey fan. That doesn't mean I'm fit to be a GM or or president of an NHL team. Although you know, I'd like to think I'd be pretty good at it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, I should show them some of my uh, my old uh, NHL '94 teams that I was able to build. Um, <laughs> but it's this is again, this is the problem. Is you got JB up there with Wisebrod, who I I don't I don't trust. The guy's got a basketball background as well. I, you don't have those large hockey ops departments and that team president and that buffer and somewhere where Jim can go and bounce like, Hey, we've got this trade on the board with Arizona or Dallas or whoever. And he can go to hockey ops and go to the presidents and go to whoever. And they can, they can look at it and say, yeah, no, uh, we don't like this, but it's the owners who doing that. And again, I think this is coming to play. Uh, I really do believe ownership was involved in the, the Jake for pick way back when, Wanting to bring in the local kid, uh, I don't know if they were involved in Yulevi. I think that one just uh, that one just didn't work out. You know, top defenseman in the draft didn't work out. Um, but I, I we know that they've had their hands in things before. We've we've heard that they vetoed a Kessler trade uh, way back when and a Hamhoos trade uh, way back when. 
And this idea of just always trying to compete for the playoffs, uh, it doesn't work. Not in today's NHL. You got to have your ups and downs. You look at some of the teams who are on their ups right now, you know, LA, Anaheim, San Jose, uh, Detroit, all surprises right now, a quarter of the way into the season. It's a, nobody expected them to be performing as well as they, they are, but there they are. And they had to suck to get better. The Canucks have sucked, but they've sucked just outside of sucking enough to not acquire those top picks. And they also trade a bunch of picks. So for me, this, I mean, a lot of blame goes to ownership because ownership doesn't have that buffer. And I think they like Jim because they can manipulate Jim and tell him what to do. And Jim's like you said before, Doug, he's a yes man. And so he can just kind of do uh does what they say and that that's it there's bosses and he's been here for eight years with what one playoff appearance in a in a in a bubble like i mean yeah well i mean they did have that bu- buffer and his name was trevor linden and then yeah they had an amicable parting of the ways at least that's what the official press release said um and i think it was because linden pushed back too much on some of the things that i think ownership was wanting and I think Linden thought they needed to take a step back and take a little bit more time on the rebuild and not to try to accelerate it. And Aquilini sided with Jim's philosophy that they were ready to accelerate the rebuild and start splashing cash and free agency. And we've seen how well that's worked out for the Canucks over the past four, five, six years. It's right now, I agree. I think, you know, you can talk roster construction all you want, you can talk about poor draft picks, all you want. At the end of the day, it's ownership. They have been the problem, or Francesco has been the problem. And he has not let the people he has hired do their job. He has tried to meddle. I mean, Mike Gillis, there was reports that he was pressured to hire John Tortorella. He didn't want to hire Tortorella for the team after he let Vigneault go, but there was pressure from ownership to get Tortorella in and obviously Gillis caved to to that and then Gillis was never really given a chance to do a full-on rebuild now again I'm not trying to rehash Gillis I don't think you know he should be given a second chance I think he had a giant ego and I think that's one of the reasons why he's never had another job as another GM in the league I think he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way Was he a very smart, bright guy that thought the game and looked at the game a lot differently than the majority of the old white men that have been running the NHL for the past 30 years? Absolutely. But he also, I think, just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and that's why he hasn't gotten another job in the NHL. But he obviously was a guy that wasn't going to stand pat and let Aquilini push back at him, and I think that's what happened. I think Aquilini... Wanted a splash, so he hired Trevor Linden more as a PR stunt. Linden had no experience. And we saw that last year, this offseason. Was it last year? I think it was last year, the offseason, when we hired the Sedins. And, you know, I, and great. I think those, those both Daniel and Henrik are smart hockey men. They have great hockey minds. But I respect the hell out of them that they said, no, we're not going to just jump into a senior management role. We want to take our time. We want to slowly ascend. You know, we want to put in the work. A la Steve Eiserman. You look at what Steve Eiserman did before he took on the general manager job in Tampa. He was the AGM in Detroit under Ken Holland for quite a few years. Then he went 
to Tampa, you know, build or help build, you know, that franchise. And you mean, they're back-to-back Stanley Cup winners at the moment. Now he's gone to Detroit. He's been in Detroit, what, three, four years, and you're seeing Detroit on the come up, like you said, Pete. You know, I'm not sure they've had some really high draft picks, but, you know, they seem to be clicking. And they're a team that, you know, looks in two, three years from now is going to be a legitimate playoff team and, you know, could be pushing for a Stanley Cup. They have some of that high-end talent. And I think that's where I think a lot of Canucks fans thought we would be today, you know, we're what year three, year four with PD in the in the NHL, and I thought this would be a year where PD could push for maybe. And again, it's hard to do this in a league where you got Connor McDavid putting up, you know, insane insane point totals that haven't been seen or matched since the late '80s, early '90s to have a chance for MVP. But you know, I thought, hey, he could be in the discussion. He could be in the discussion for the. Uh, what's the point one? The Art Ross Trophy. And, you know, he just, I don't know what it is, man. And this team, and I don't know if it still stems from last year and just the way the whole COVID outbreak happened. I know last year was very hard on a lot of the players. You look at guys like Nate Schmidt wanting out. I know there was a lot of like humming and hawing. Did he really want out? Yeah, I think he really wanted out. I think he said he, he didn't want to play for this club anymore. Uh, Alex Edler not re-signing in Vancouver. Now, I don't really, I take that one with a bit of more of a grain of salt because they had made the trade for OEL. And then on your left side, you still had Quinn Hughes and you have Jack Rathbone, who I think they would rather have slotted in for the bottom pair. And you also had Ole Ulevi still in the organization who you were hoping maybe could show you something. So the Alex Edler one, again, I'm a little bit more... Uh, on that one whether or not he didn't want to resign here or he just looked at the depth chart and realized there probably wasn't going to be a spot for him this year game in game out but yeah like I I think all of this started last year and I and I think it might have had to do something with the COVID outbreak and the lack of communication from management and that has been Jim Benning's not his biggest flaw but one of his biggest flaws is poor communication poor communication to the fans poor communication to the players poor communication to i'm guessing the coaches like it just it's it's a complete mess at the moment and i don't know how it gets fixed i really don't nate schmidt would be uh second on the team in defenseman scoring and alex edler would be third on the team in defenseman scoring right now um edler i think the fans would have also lost it if he'd signed a one-year three and a half million dollar deal here um so i get that but you know there have been a lot of pieces i mean tanev that that one that one hurts marky again it was the right decision to let him go but you look at what those two guys are doing in calgary um and it's it, by this point the young guys should be ready to take over and they're not and that's for me also really really troubling this should be the point where these young guys it's their team now the reins being given go with it and it's just this complete dissolve i mean we've criticized pd a lot but hughes is uh, yeah he's getting a lot of he's getting some points but he's making some terrible gaffes defensively out there as well and uh this blind passes he caused uh his pass caused one of the penguins goals uh, last night and i i don't think he should be off the hook at, at all either and uh it's and and besser like these guys are nowhere near 
what we've seen from them in the past and we know they're better like how do these guys all three of those guys in particular just fall off a cliff and you have three of your highest paid best players all fall off a cliff like that that you're going to be leaning on heavily uh, they, like what do you do i mean we haven't even talked about special teams and how that's just absolutely crippling the team as well but i mean Every day, more and more stuff comes out. This fan base uh, across the board, uh, pretty much, is 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 very negative. And, and like I've I've said it on Twitter and to people out there, I'm like, look, I'm I'm a pretty glass half full Canucks fan. I always, you know, I, I take things pretty positively, but it's hard to find a lot of positives. You know, I talked about OEL and Garland and and Hoaglander and Demko. Like there are a few out there. But that's not what the season is supposed to be about. And uh, I think the disappointment after eight years being told that, hey, this is it. We're, uh, we're going to be ready to compete this year. And through, at the 20-game mark, to have just four regulation wins, that's just not good enough. Well, even like you said, Brock Besser has four goals on the year. One of them is an empty netter. I mean, Brock Besser should be leading the team in goals or at least in your top two or three goal scores on on the team um he's a goal scorer and you know i i think some of it is coaching i will never understand the point of making him the net front presence on the power play it just boggles my mind but also just effort and you know the one thing from Besser and Petey, especially Petey, is just the lack of wanting to take a shot. Like, they're always looking for that extra pass. It's like, dude, take the shot. Let it rip. I, I That's the other thing that kind of boggles my mind. It's just like they're always looking for that extra pass. They don't want to shoot because for whatever reason, they've missed the net the last 10 shot attempts and they don't want to miss the net again. So they're going to try one last back pass. Or It just... It, it, it's mind-numbing right now watching this team play. And I know a lot of people are starting to say, oh, yeah, change the coach. But I agree, like, Green should go and needs to go. But I, I still don't think that's going to solve some of the bigger issues we're seeing right now with this team. Yeah, but I think, you, uh, like, as you know, uh, that's kind of the next, that's the way the deck goes, right? Like, that's kind of the next move. I think you do have to see before you make personnel changes, what happens under a new coach. Um, if that new coach falters, everyone will be like, oh, we should have kept green and this fan base is really going to lose it because then you know it's with the players and that's going to turn the blame. I mean, Benning's always going to get the blame, but it's going to turn the immediate blame from instead of on green, it's going to turn it more to the players. And if that happens, this team is in a lot of trouble in in this market. I mean, Petey as well, last game, he played less than 13 minutes uh, in all situations. He he played. There's only four guys on the team, three forwards, that played less than them, and that was the the fourth line, Chase on Dickinson, Lamico. Uh, but like you know, Tyler Mott got three minutes more of ice time than than Petey did throughout the game. Uh, it's uh, there's just something that, and and I mean, we can all see it. Like you're like, oh yeah, he. You, you say that, and we're like, well yeah, you you didn't notice him when he was on the ice. This is a guy that I compared to Pavel Datsuk in the past, and I thought uh, Pavel Datsuk comparison in his first few years was pretty apt. I was like, this guy has potential to be. You mentioned Art Ross. I was I always thought PD has potential to be Selkie Trophy. Uh, I, I I thought that he has that in him, but he doesn't get used to kill penalties uh, either. And again, we could go down a rabbit hole as 
well of of the deployment that green uses but uh there's 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 so many things right now um i think you've i think you've got to make a coaching change but you need more out of your best players um what they're going to do about the blue line i don't know what they're going to do about special teams i feel like you could at least fix the power play um i think the penalty kill is probably going to be a bit of an achilles for the rest of the year though yeah, I mean, and and then again, even the fiasco with Hamannick, right? Bringing him up when he has he still isn't fully vaccinated, so he's only able to play home games. He can't go with them on the road. Although I did hear that he will be joining the team on this road trip, but I think near the end of the road trip. But again, like, why didn't you just leave him in Abbotsford and let Rathbone continue to play up here? I mean, Rathbone, he was making mistakes but at least he was trying to generate offense but then again maybe they want Rathbone as far away from this team right now as possible so he they don't screw up his development but uh going back to what you said Pete about Petey's ice time uh it reminded me honestly I the first thing I thought of was the Thanos slash uh young Gamora meme where it's like Pod Colson had 14 minutes of ice time what did it cost PD's ice time. I don't know if you've seen that meme, but there's a Thanos Young Gamora meme, and it's it's kind of like, oh, you know, did we did did Pod Colson finally get more than 15 minutes of ice time? Yes. What did it cost? PD's ice time. I don't know. That's just <laughs> the first thing I thought of. All the Marvel fans listening will get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't I didn't get that one. Um, Doug, uh, any last thoughts uh, before we do our uh, our little around the room segment that we got coming up here? Uh, just a quick one. Um, what do you what do you think? Also, oh yeah, I remember what I was going to say. Hamannick, yes, uh, last two games on the road tripper in Canada, so uh, he's more than likely going to join the team in Montreal um, as well. Uh, the team will likely fly out of Boston Sunday night and go to Montreal, so I expect Hamannick to join up with them over there. Um, just prediction time. We uh, what what what's the schedule like next week? So we will looks like the Canucks play again on Wednesday uh, next week. Uh, so wait, what day is it? Yes, they do play on Wednesday. Sorry. So we'll record on Thursday. So we got four games between now and then. That's the road trip. We're going to be recording after the road trip, and we're going to the game on Saturday, uh, December fourth, against the Penguins again. And friend of the show Terry Guest is going to be uh, joining us for that. Um, where do you, what do you think is going to happen here by the time we record next? What do you, what do you predict we're going to talk about next episode? I think there'll be a coaching change now, whether it's just Shaw being named the interim coach for the rest of the season. Uh, but I do think there will be a coaching change because I think they have to do something. I think that's a lot more likely than a trade happening or Benning actually being fired. Uh, yeah, I, I think next time we record, there'll be a new bench boss in Vancouver. I really do. I think the Canucks are going to probably end up this road trip one in three, or sorry, one in four because it's a five game road trip, isn't it? But they have four games left on the road trip. That's some good math. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I think they end up one and four on this road trip, and I think at the end of the road trip, they fired Green. I, you know, I, I asked that question and I'm not even sure what the answer is. A, a, a part of me, a large part really wants to agree with you, but I just, I feel like they would have done it by now. Um, I do think, uh, 
I think you're right, though. If it was a coaching change, it'd be Shaw on an interim basis. Um, I think that would. I think that's the most likely situation. Um, I'm gonna say, uh, geez, I I don't know, man. I I'm not sure, but I I, I almost think that nothing's gonna have changed. And if we win one game on this road trip, I think that's uh, that would be uh, almost a blessing right now. I just, you know. I don't like to, to shit on the team, but like, I just, I, I, I'm okay with losing. I, I am. It's part of being a sports fan. There's a lot more downs than ups being a sports fan. You got to be okay with losing. I'm not okay with losing when you're not putting in the effort. And that's what's so frustrating. It's like, if they were out there playing hard and just getting stonewalled by hot goaltending all the time, it's like, oh, it's frustrating, but you're still going to watch the games. And, you know, you see more and more people out there like, I'm not even watching, or you turn the game off in the first period. And uh, I, I just don't know if anything's going to happen by then. I, I'm going to say it's going to be a rough road trip. Uh, maybe get the one win. I don't think we'll get more than that right now. Um, but Montreal and Ottawa, there could be some points up for grabs there. Uh, Columbus and Boston is going to be tough. But if you play like you did against Pittsburgh – it's it's going to be tough. Um, I just don't know if you fire the coach on the road. Uh, I think you might wait to get home. Maybe after the Sens game or maybe when they get home, maybe the day we record on Thursday, maybe there will be. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on anything right now. I don't know what to believe, man. I don't know what to believe. It's uh, You go on to Twitter, it's just a freaking mess out there. People got screenshots of what insiders are saying and <laughs> – and posting them around like i don't know like what's your source like like freaking the the towel boy like are you just making this stuff up because you know this is every rumor that people want to hear or have made up like i don't know man i i just don't know what to believe um i just try and focus what's on the ice and right now it is not good enough for me it's not good enough for the talent level of this team yeah i agree it's it's hard watching right now like if the canucks were losing you know, 5-4, 6-4, 6-3, but they were still putting in goals and putting up points, but they were just poor defense was doing them in. I mean, poor defense is still doing them in, but they're not even scoring goals. That's that's the thing that's really concerning for me because I do think, at least on paper, the talent level they have up front with the forward group is much better than this. They shouldn't be the bottom third of goals for in the league and I believe they are at the moment it's just it, it, it's mind-boggling and again I would rather watch this team lose 6-4 7-5 than what they're the way they're losing right now yeah I, I agree Doug let's uh, shift gears here um, and let's uh, jump into an around the room segment I think you're going to want to hear this <laughs> The only thing we have on the docket today um, is uh, really pertaining to the Olympics and uh, the All-Star Game. Uh, First of all, the Team Canada Olympic jerseys. What do you think? Eh. Like, I like that they try to be bold. Um, The third jersey, the black with the red trim. Eh, I don't think you really needed that, but I, I think they tried to go bold. I mean, I, I the, the U.S. jerseys are very similar with the yellow, I believe, white and black, is it as well? Or blue, sorry, not yellow. Why did I say yellow? Yellow. 
I don't know why I said yellow. Blue, white, and uh, black, I believe. Uh, or is it red? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They're okay. They're definitely not my favorite Olympic jerseys Canada's ever brought to the table. It's funny how the black jersey is just uh, like we always seem to have a black jersey now. Um, I agree. Not uh, the favorites. The Maple Leaf, different design. Uh, I don't like with the black one. I never like when uh, jerseys don't have stripes on the bottom. And then it's like the same color scheme as uh, the pants. You almost look like a like a video game character or something. So I'm not quite as sold on that. I'm, uh, I always like, like I said, I like the traditional stripes. You know, when the Canucks had that like weird zigzag jersey and stuff that went up on the side. I didn't like that. Uh, that was a very 90s thing um but yeah you know they may maybe they look better on tv i think the whites are probably the nicest uh it's just funny how black has really become uh, a team canada color for uh whatever reason uh, you know it's red, red and white and, and black now for us uh, so um yeah i'm i'm with you uh not the best not the worst i say that and i do own a black canada jersey from 2014 so yeah i mean sometimes the black looks good but i just for me, you didn't. I, I preferred the white and the red jerseys than the black personally. If you're gonna do a black, I would almost do like a black and a white jersey. Obviously highlighted in red. If you're gonna go with a solid black jersey and then have the all the highlights in red, but yeah, they're very meh to me. Yeah, kind of like watching one, this team. Yeah, yeah. The the red one with uh, the black on it. That's kind of a, a different look for them, but. Yeah, we'll see how it looks on uh, on TV. We're not going to speculate today about the rosters because that'll that'll be a whole episode, and we'll we'll do that at a later one. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Olympics themselves. Now, it's obviously there was a lot of back and forth. Uh, the players really wanted to go, and uh, it sounds like in all likelihood they're going to go. But but with with everything that's that's happening right now. Uh, with COVID and with uh, uh, Peng Shui uh, as well, um, what what do you think uh, is is this worth it for the NHL to go? I don't think so. Uh, I, I I think a lot of players are, are probably going to have to do a fourteen day quarantine if they end up catching COVID over there. Um, yeah, it just I I get there are players like again we still have never seen Connor McDavid in the Olympics. Like, I don't think yeah. people realize that. We've never got to see Connor McDavid play in the Olympics. And it could be our only chance to have McDavid and Crosby on the same team. There you go. And another guy, we've I, I, I'm fairly certain of this. We've never got to see play in the Olympics. He's been selected, but he's been hurt almost every other time is Steven Stamkos. Yeah, and, you know, Nate McKinnon as well. Like It is uh, this rare window where you could have all those guys on the team and and yeah it's it's in china and that's a market that the nhl really wants to break into but you know china is uh, uh again under the microscope in international sports uh with uh, human rights issues but even past that like i mean they've they've had they apparently everyone's okay with this because they've already done olympics uh, in beijing in recent memory as well but like, isn't this, this has the potential just to be a super spreader. You're bringing people from all over the world together and then they're all going back out. And if, if let's say someone on team Canada gets it and it doesn't get tracked or any team, not just team Canada, they all go back and they bring it to all their dressing rooms. There's the chance. And I'm, you know, I, I don't think this will happen. Players are vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. But we've already seen the senators get hit hard with this. It's like, geez, this is uh something that, 
you know, does the league really need uh, everyone traveling around? And yeah, okay, they're playing in front of full crowds already in NHL buildings, and so far the damage has been minimal. But I, I want to see, I want to see NHL players there. I just, you know, what if uh, your your team's players get stuck in a two week quarantine in China? Uh, the Olympics are over, and they're still in quarantine. Like, that's not a good look for anybody. No, and I mean, if you think about all the clubs that have their star players going over there to play, there's a chance that they could be without their star players for two weeks once the NHL season resumes. Is that a risk the NHL wants to take? I don't know. I I believe they have until January 10th to pull out, and there'd be no, like, there's no backlash or there's no fine or whatever from the uh, IOC if they pull out. So they have until the 10th of January to pull out. I think this next month we'll see how things are trending in China as far as COVID uh, cases are. But I think there's a very strong possibility that the NHL is not going to go to China for the Olympics this year. Yeah, I, I'd say it's 50-50. And uh, also with that, uh, there's the All-Star Game coming up. And it's in Vegas, which uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, that seems like a good spot to do it. They already do their awards show, which I'm sure you're glued to every year in, uh, <laughs> in Las Vegas. Um, but again, uh, Vegas bit of a super spreader potential there like i i see a lot of footage down in the states and and mask wearing down there just doesn't seem as commonplace or as sensible in a lot of ways as it is up here and you're doing this in vegas now and again there's there's the potential of again the all-star game is going to go ahead they've already had to move it cancel it once they're not going to do it again with vegas but this is kind of something that uh Again, it feels a, a little bit unnecessary. And I've also always wondered why they, they doing the All-Star game in the middle of the season. Like, almost in a lot of ways, it would be better to do it at the end of the season in some ways. I don't know if that actually does make sense or not. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But it's kind of a weird thing. You have that disrupting the season and the Olympics. It's going to be after Christmas. The NHL calendar is going to be really weird. Yeah, I, I will say this with the All-Star game and it being in Vegas – Calling it now, Pete. And again, I I know you have to be voted in by the fans, or at least a couple of players do, and I understand that there's things that happen in regards to... I, do the coaches pick the teams, right, or they're drafted? Uh, I don't know how they're doing it this year. Jack Eichel will be playing in the All-Star game. I'm calling mm. it now. That'll be the debut for the Vegas fans to see Jack Eichel on on the ice and he will be playing in the all-star game i call it now that'll be his first quote-unquote game of the year i could be wrong but it's a perfect showcase for eichel vegas the nhl he's the big well i mean i guess you still have matthews but he's a big american name playing in i guess a big american market now in vegas um it, I, I'm saying it right now. Jack Eichel makes his se- season debut at the All-Star Game in Vegas. I'll, I'll bet you a beer that doesn't happen. I, sure. I'm going the other way. I just, I don't know. I As a fan, hey, Jack Eichel's a great player. That's a neat story. But you can't put someone in the All-Star Game who's got zeros across the board. I don't, I don't, I just, you can't. I mean, the guy, I don't know. Uh, for me, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to go against you. We've got a beer on the line here, folks. Um, it would be, it would be neat to see. It would be quite, uh, quite the scene, but 
you know, you gotta, you gotta have the stats. Uh, I also don't like, and I, I know why they do this, but you're building, it's a 23 man roster, uh, on each side made up of 16 teams and having to put in the players from every team, it really messes up, uh, or makes it hard for it to be a true all-star team. Uh, I know that, yeah, okay. Every team wants to get represented there. But I've always thought that it would be better to not have that rule. Make it if I, I would find it more interesting myself if they just said, "All right, these are the best players right now from each conference." Go, oh yeah, okay. So there happens to be five lightning on the team and and no senators. Like, so be it. Uh, that's kind of cool. And you know, maybe years from now there'll be it'll be the other way around. But um, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Do you do you like the player representation from each team? Yeah, I mean, yes, no. The All-Star game is always for kids, right? I mean, that's what it's marketed for. So if you're a kid and, and your favorite team doesn't have an All-Star, your likelihood of watching it are slim and none. It sounds like you missed the North America versus Europe days, Pete. Ah, uh, geez, that was something different. Uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't really like that one either. I thought that was, that was kind of weird. But, uh, you know, I... They've done a lot of different formats. I guess that's part of it is because there's so much inconsistency. There's like the division things as well. And like I don't even know how they're doing it this year. Is it by divisions? I have no idea. I like think three so. Three on three again by divisions? I believe. Yeah. I mean, that's what they've done the last couple. But again, we didn't get an all-star game last year. So yeah. who knows, right? I don't know. It's just one of those things that uh, I've never been big on the all-star game. Um, I've, I've, I've only maybe ever watched a couple. I, I will say, though, the best thing would be for the all-star game is you do that as one of your outdoor games. I think that would be uh, that'd yeah. be kind of a cool, uh, cool one. That, I think, would make it more interesting is doing it in an outdoor uh, somewhere, a stadium somewhere. I don't know. I think that would be uh, a little, kind of cool to see. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think that's a really good call to do uh, one of the outdoor games as your all-star game right after Christmas as well, right? Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, since uh, I got a good call there, I think we're going to end the segment and uh, let's take this into the free pour. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about a movie I saw recently in the theater, which I really enjoyed. It's a movie that I know a lot of people have heard about, uh, lots of press about it, but I I saw Dune in the theater. And it was a spectacular movie to see in the theater. And I think people should, if you plan to watch the movie, you should definitely go to the theater to watch it. It was an immaculately shot film by a Canadian director, Denis Villeneuve, who has done some amazing films over the past few years. I don't know much, or I didn't know anything really about the Dune lore heading into the movie, but now I'm very interested. I know there's, I think, five or six books from the original author. Um, A lot of people say they're pretty hard to read because they're so in-depth. I know Star Wars stole a lot of their ideas from Dune, um, but a really good movie, and especially a theater movie. Go if you if you're a theater fan like I am, definitely go to the theater. Check out Dune. For 
movies to music. I'm going to give an album recommendation uh, for everyone out there. Um, I was in uh, Neptune Records the other day, and up on the wall, the new Nightmares on Wax record. And I love Nightmares on Wax. I already have, I think I have three, three of the records already, his records. Um, fantastic musician. Uh, so I was just like, yo, I've heard seven seconds of this record. I'm, I'm going to buy it because I know I'm going to like it. And it is sensational. It's called Shout Out to Freedom. A very kind of retro old school design to it. A lot of collaborations with different uh, vocalists who I've never heard of. But it is a really, my friend described it as a, a dreamy album. As it, That is a really good way to put it. Like it's it's got like real elements of 70s soul and chill. But there's some real interesting song constructions on there. Uh, I recommend the track Wonder. Um, uh, but the end, the way the album goes, it, it finishes super strong. It's one of those albums where it's just like you put on side C and D and you're like, holy crap. Like I thought A and B were good. C and D are even better. So highly recommend if you like any sort of down tempo, chill out, soul, electronic, um, really recommend. Shout out to Freedom, Nightmares on Wax. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 94, just about in the books. And uh, hopefully you stuck around and listened to all of us talking Canucks. If you are, you're your brave soul because it is a tough slugging right now. And we try not to shit on the team too much, but uh, as we all know, it's tough times right now. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be critical of this team right now. And for good reason. I mean, there's effort and then there's what we've been seeing from the Canucks the past few games. Complacency. Hopefully, exactly. Hopefully, hopefully they can turn a corner here. Uh, and again, whether or not that's a coaching change or you know, a sit down with the players or some of the leadership group or some of the young guys. I mean, obviously there was that photo that someone posted on Twitter of Aquilini and Petey having dinner together, which again, don't take photos of people I mean, in public, it's kind of weird. I mean, obviously, there was the whole thing with Jim Benning in the grocery store, which was obviously really strange and weird as well. Uh, that being said, it did seem like it was a bit of a publicity stunt to be seated right at the window in, like, such an open yeah. spot for people to walk by. But, yeah, give people their privacy, folks. Well, we got, uh, like I said, by the time we record next, this road trip will be done. Who knows what state the team will be in. Hey, maybe they'll win four in a row and start playing inspired hockey. But I know I've said a couple episodes ago, I was like, I'll give it to the 20-game mark. We're at the 20-game mark, and it's worse than it was a couple episodes ago. So, anyways, I'll, I'll cheer for the boys to win. I always will, but, geez, it's, uh, it's, tough, uh, it's tough watching it right now. Anyways, if you want to hear me whine and gripe about the Canucks some more and give them praise when uh, when it's deserved you can follow me on Twitter I'm at Pete underscore gas and do check out our playlist on Spotify it's the Canucks speakeasy outro playlist this track is getting added onto it as well give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn 
Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at CanucksSpeak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.